up until 2019, we were conventional tillage, which would be spread your fertilizer in the fall or spring, you chisel plow it, then you field cultivate it right before planting, and then you would plant it. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Hello there, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Small Minded. So when I think of small towns, a lot of times, and like you guys know, if you've been here for any amount of time, we think about small businesses, we think about schools, we think about the nonprofit organizations, but there's also a big industry that I wanted to make sure that we touched on, and that is agriculture and farming. So I just happened to live with someone who is an expert in this field, <laughs> My husband Ryan has been a farmer for three decades now, and he is stopping by the podcast today to tell us a little bit about his journey into farming and about how he started when he was literally two years old. He was driving a tractor and a grain cart at like the age of 10, 12. You'll hear the story in today's episode. And then in the most recent years, he, his brother, his sister, and now the next generation, they're entering into the fourth generation of farmers at Knuth Farms Incorporated. And with that legacy of farming comes questions like, how do we modernize? What are some technologies that we want to bring in? So I'm very lucky to have my husband, Ryan Knuth, talking with us today about farming and the importance of agriculture in our small towns. So full disclosure, we recorded this whole thing. (laughs) And then we both, like the next day, looked at each other. We're like, should we? re-record that. It was a little rough. So this is the second go. So it's a little more polished than it was, but yeah, it's just funny. So anyway, thanks for being here. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you want to follow my husband and his farming adventures, especially this fall as they get harvest going, go back to the show notes of today's episode and you can find him at Eastern Iowa Farmer on TikTok and Instagram. All right. So without further ado, here's my husband, Ryan Knuth. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Hi. (laughs) All right. Well, let's start with letting you introduce yourself. Who are you? How did we meet? All the things. I'm Ryan Knuth. I am a farmer in eastern Iowa, and I met Molly in math class in high school. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about what you do. What do I do? Not much. You're very lazy. Yeah, I lay around all the time. (laughs) I've never known someone who could sit still as long as you. Right. (laughs) Um, I, like I said, I'm a farmer. We raise row crops, hay and beef cattle and swine, hogs. And then in your free time that you have, you like puttering around the house and making stuff and things like that, right? Yeah. I always got to have a project. 
I wanted to have Ryan on this week because I know that in a lot of small towns, agriculture plays a big role. And I thought Ryan could speak to us a little bit about coming from a farm family. So you're a third generation farmer in your family's operation, but also there's been a lot of like technology that and different like things that you guys have adapted in the last few years that I wanted you to be able to speak to as well. So thanks for coming on today. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I guess let's start at the beginning. How did you start farming and where are you at with it today? Uh, I started farming by, well, basically just getting in the way and driving everybody nuts since I was about four years old. And yeah, thankfully, Luckily, I was born into it, and I've been able to do it every day until now. Because <laughs> you're 36, right? So yeah. you've got about three decades of farming experience, so that's pretty good. Yeah, the first ones, that was more of a pain in the butt than anything, but I learned a lot. I had good teachers. So as a young kid, you said you got in the way a lot. So what do you mean by that? Like. How were you involved, like, when you were a five-year-old? How were you involved on the farm? Oh, the guys would be kicking pigs out of the hog building, and I'd be standing in the way, (laughs) (laughs) thinking I was helping, I don't know, probably swinging something around. And if you do that in front of a pig, they like to turn around and run the other way. So I caused more. I made work out of work for them at some (laughs) time. One of my favorite pictures that your mom gave us, like, when – I don't know if she gave us a tote of your old things that she had been keeping in storage, but there was a picture of you and your dad and you couldn't have been more than like two or three years old and you're up underneath. Was it an anhydrous? No. Yeah. An anhydrous. It was an anhydrous. But yeah. So from a young age, not only were you helping out on the livestock side of things, but you were also just like getting right into whatever your dad was working on. Right. Yeah, pretty much. That's where I learned a lot of, I like to build and fix and, do a lot of those things. And I learned a lot of that stuff from him. And your grandpa was really involved, like still is very involved in the farm. So you've been able to learn a lot from him too, right? Yeah. Oh, just buying and selling cattle and from corn to, yeah, pretty much every aspect of it. I learned a lot from dad and grandpa, among plenty of other people, but they were a big part of it. And now the family operation has expanded. As we said, you're part of the third generation, but so is your sister and your brother. And now the fourth generation is starting to come up, aren't they? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right. So tell us a little bit about like, where are you guys at today? You said you do row crops and livestock. And then is there anything else that you guys do as part of Canoe Farms Incorporated? Well, like I said, we started, well, like pigs, for example, we used to farrow all our own pigs, all our own sows. We had sows and boars and everything around. And now we own part of a sow unit. So we have a steady flow and a constant flow of SEWs, which would be weaned pigs, off the sow coming in. And that's a lot easier is one way to put it, but also a steady flow and a consistent source. So that's changed dramatically from how we used to do it to how we're doing it today. And the beef cattle side of things, as long as I can remember, we've always just bought calves or 800-pound cattle, 600 to 800-pound cattle, and taken them to market. 
whether it comes off directly off pasture or as a weaned calf or sometimes a background yard. But that, I mean, we've changed some things. We have one cattle confinement building, which eliminates making bedding and a lot of other things. We added that, oh, six years ago, probably already. The one down in Bernard. Yeah. So we've changed some of how we do that, but nothing drastic. What about on the row crop side of things? Have you guys made any changes or upgrades in recent years? Yeah, we, up until 2019, we were conventional tillage, which would be spread your fertilizer in the fall or spring. You'd chisel plow it, then you'd field cultivate it right before planting, then you would plant it. And uh, we adapted a practice called strip till back in the winter of 2019 is when we decided we were going to do it. So the spring of 19 was our first year. And that eliminates a few passes across the field. Plus, we're not tilling. We're only tilling about 30 to 40% of the field instead of all of it. So it helps on erosion and fertilizer placement. We can put fertilizer down. That's all of our tillage in one pass, and it incorporates the fertilizer into the ground. So for anybody who may be listening that's not familiar with like farming implements, the strip till is pulled behind the tractor through the field. Yeah. And it's meant to just help get the soil ready. It prepares the soil, gets the residue out of the way so the soil can warm up and you got a nice spot to plant your seed. And you said that this method, as compared to what you guys used to do, it saves you passes on the field, which saves manpower, saves fuel input cost. Yep. And it's more accurate with your placement of your input, right? Yeah, it is very accurate, but that is another leap into uh, GPS, RTK corrections and GPS. So it's kind of an evolved system, but it works really well. You want to talk a little bit about like the GPS and like the level of technology is something that I think is really underappreciated among people who are maybe outside the farming community. Like when I hear you guys at work talking about like your GPS or like you talk about so much science stuff, but I just feel like there's so many things that you guys do on a daily basis that are maybe underappreciated. And I think like your GPS and your technology is one of them. So do you want to talk? Sorry, that's a long way of saying, can you tell us a little bit more about your GPS technology? (laughs) You're losing me there for a second. I know, I could see your eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what... The GPS, how it works is you you build a line, whether you drive that line or you put a certain degree heading in, 90 degrees, 180, you can type in whatever number you want up until 360. What it does is it follows a line, so it keeps the tractor online, and then with our strip till and our planner, we use so what's called uh, implement steering. So the tractor's got a GPS globe on it, as does the planter. And you got a line going around a hill that you kind of drew. You drove it. It memorizes that line and it saves it. So that when the strip you make with the strip till, you send that line to the other tractor. And that planter can follow on that exact same line within an inch. And you can do the RTK corrections where it's year-to-year accuracy is why we pay for that. So next year, we'll move over 15 inches. 
and we'll plant right in the dead center of last year's cornrows. So we have all that residue, we have all that root mass holding on some of these side hills, holding the dirt together, holding it in a place, slowing water down for erosion purposes. And it just, it works really well, but it's, uh, that implement steering is a pretty involved system, but it, to do it the way we're doing it, I think it's kind of the only way for the contours and hills. If you were flat, you could probably get away with it, without it, I should say. But with the contours, it's it's almost a necessity to be able to farm that way. Because the contour here in Iowa, we have, or in eastern Iowa, I should say, we have so many hills that contour farming is... Yeah, needed. you want a contour farm. You can't go up and over them or a lot of your dirt's going to run down the hill. And we don't have as steep hills as some people, but it's all rolling and we just try and do the best job we can. All right. So at the time of this recording, it's late July. So what are you guys working on in this season? And then what's coming up in the next few weeks for your farm? Oh, right now we are currently working on trying to get second cutting hay done. Hopefully by the end of this week or first part of next, we should have that wrapped up. And usually the month of August is when we start taking trucks in our straight trucks and semis and we take them in to get them inspected. You got to do a yearly DOT inspection so they're safe for the highway and everything's in good operating order. Trying to eliminate as many breakdowns as possible. But uh, so we'll start running trucks through the shop by somebody else. And then we got to bring the combine in and go through that. Get that up and running or ready to run, I should say. It is ready to run, but it needs some parts. They always do. And then the chopper as well. And I guess August is just a month of maintenance for us, trying to get all our equipment as ready as we can to go to the field. And then when do you guys start like harvest, like hardcore? Brewing? Oh, probably the second week of September is when we're usually going at it pretty good. Is that when you guys start chopping? or is Yeah, that... we'll start grinding ear corn for the cattle about then. And about how long does it take you? So I guess maybe we should preface that with how many acres do you guys have of corn? And then about how long does that take you to bring in off the field? Oh, it all depends on the weather and a bunch of other things. But uh, we got to do seven to 800 acres of earlage with the chopper. That'll take us probably just short of three weeks, two and a half to three weeks, depending on how everything goes. And then we'll have to run through sixteen to seventeen hundred acres of corn with the combine. And like as long as we've been together, the earliest you guys have been done is like mid November, right? Yeah, we've done been done the first we've been done the first week of November before. No, we've been done in October before. You have? Yeah, in two thousand twelve. The corn was really dry. It was just kind of a drought year. Or it was mm -hmm. a drought year. So yield wasn't there, not as much corn to handle, so we really boogie. But then in the years where it's like wet or... Or it rains and you can't pick for two or three days, or there's always something. It always seems or like... you we, have a combine breakdown. Yeah, it seems like we always get done about the same time, no matter what happens. I feel like it averages like mid to late November, but you guys have definitely been in the fields like mid-December before. 
there was one year I think you guys were like you couldn't even get all the crap out. You had to go out in the early spring and get the rest. Yeah, of it. we had to go get some. Not a lot, but yeah. There's always something. So then once you got all the corn in, are you guys done for the season? That's it? What? Done planting? You're done farming. You get a break in the wintertime, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's when we go to the cabin in the, uh, what was that place called? Um, Wyoming? No, I don't know. Somewhere in the snowy mountains. Oh. Go skiing all winter. <laughs> so what does it look like after you've got all of your crop picked? Then what happens for a farmer? Oh, we get that done and... We usually have to haul a lot of manure, get the bedding made, get that hauled in off the field, get equipment cleaned up and put in the shed. By the time you get all that done, you just turn around and start planning for next year. <laughs> That's what I was kind of leading into. Like you get done and then basically you're buying your seed corn for next year. Some of these guys want you to buy it before you even have it picked. <laughs> Not naming any names. No, no we won't do that. <laughs> But no, it's, yeah, all winter's fixing stuff that was broke that can get put off to a winter project. And we spend a lot of the winter in the shop preparing for next year, buying inputs and stuff like that, fixing equipment, building stuff. Then spring rolls around and start it all over again. What's your favorite season? Uh, I don't know. I like spring, but fall is probably my favorite. I like seeing... The decisions you made and watching them all come together, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, but figure out what you did wrong and try and improve for the next year. Just get to smile if things go really well. Is there anything that you tried this year that you're really looking forward to measuring when you go out to do your harvest this year? Yeah, there is. I took a $50 bet with a guy in Nebraska and uh, I'm trying to kick his ass. <laughs> So we put a little extra stuff down. I think I spent $50 an acre or more, not just $50 total. But it's all about bragging rights. Yeah, it's a pride thing. <laughs> I thought that test plot was going to be your answer, but it'll be interesting to see how yeah, that Yeah, I'm excited. Back. It looks really good right now. We're Everybody pray for a little rain. We could use it. Well, just tonight we went out back to our sweet corn patch, and every stock was growing two to three ears, so... Hopefully your corn in the field looks that good too. Well, the what I've walked does look really good. I don't think it's going to be a huge bin buster, but I think we're going to have a good, respectable crop. What are some ways that you would list as benefits that people get from farming? Benefits? What are some benefits to like the United States population uh, by what you do? By what I do? Food, <laughs> beef, and pork proteins i guess and then uh, corn some of it goes to ethanol so that fuels your vehicles hay goes to livestock which in turn goes to beef yeah i guess food and byproducts right well yeah well i also think that like in small towns Farming drives a lot of the economy, right? So, like, kind of take us through a day. Like, a farmer, what are some stops that you would make in other places in your community that benefit from you and your industry? Throughout the year, well, you have your 
LP guy that you buy your LP from, whether it be for the hog buildings or your house or the grain dryer, um, the guy that you buy your fuel from, the one you got your co-op if you work with your local co-op that you buy fertilizer from and your seed corn, gas stations, you know, you got to stop and get your coffee or your pop or mm -hmm. your snack or your whatchamacallit. Whatchamacallit, they're good too. And then, yeah, small town, you know, farmers generally have a project going on. So you're grading excavating companies that you work with. You know, you get, you might stop by and talk to them. Local hardware store looking for bolts and nuts and anything. There's a lot of stops you can make in town. I think you hit all of them that I was thinking of, but I guess... I just asked that because I think there's like the immediate thing that you think of when you ask about the benefits of farming is food, but there's right. all these like ripple effects too in a community that these other businesses are able to exist because they have people like you who support their businesses. Well, too. yeah, it takes all, it takes everybody, but yeah. Yeah. All right. What are some common misconceptions about farming that aren't true? You have a platform. You've got a lot of listeners. <laughs> what are some things have, you want to unpack? I don't think I need to go on a rant, but one common misconception I feel like people think some of this labeling that goes on on meat products is antibiotic-free, and all animals that go to the plant or go to the food line are antibiotic-free. There's withdrawals and all this medication that every farmer uses that if it they'll check them and if there's any traces it comes right back to the farmer and they don't get paid for that animal i'm not exactly sure how they do it but we've never been in that situation thankfully but uh anything that we send to the food line is antibiotic free they may have had antibiotics at one time but the withdrawal period is up and there's different medications you use some of it's three days some of it's 60 days so you got to be careful what you use i think to me that's one of the biggest just food labeling in general is probably one of the bigger misconceptions they do a pretty good job at marketing those damn marketers they're so pesky yeah <laughs> all right so antibiotics and would so the labeling of antibiotic-free, that's problematic in a grocery store? I think so. Or vegetarian-fed. I think most livestock is vegetarian-fed. I've seen that on chickens before. Oh, And yeah. like eggs that we bought, vegetarian-fed. They all get grass and corn and Not it meat. all comes from, <laughs> it all comes from plants, so... I think there's plenty of misconceptions, but I don't know if we have enough time for me to go on a rant about all of them. Well, that's a good one. That's a good one to start. Uh, when you look back at, this wasn't on the prep question sheet, so get your thinking cap on. <laughs> he reached for his whiskey. He's taking a sip. I'm going to do a play-by-play -play of you drinking your drink. <laughs> As a... We skipped over a lot when you were doing like your intro. So like as a kid, you were like active on the farm. Yeah. Um, so like then as you grew up, so we're no longer talking about you as like a five-year-old 
But then at what point did you realize that farming was going to be your career path and this is something you wanted to do forever? Um, I think I always knew. I really, I played football in high school, but I never really got into much any other sports. That's about the only one I played. I played baseball up until like fifth grade or something. I think the biggest one was when I did go to college for procrastination 101, by the way, um, is I stayed at school subconsciously. I didn't dawn on me until it was over, but I only stayed at school for two weekends out of the two years. I always wanted to come home, whether it was come back to a party with other friends that were back here, but I always seemed to come back and get in the field or whatever I was doing. And was it like when you're enrolled in Procrastination 101, is that like when you learned how to drive tractors and stuff like that? No, I did that when I was probably like eight years old, (laughs) six years old. I don't know how old I was when I first started driving tractors. I know I was like 12, maybe younger. The guys will tell the story. We were finishing off a silo. They were all up on top of the silo and there was a tractor wagon parked in the house yard. And this is... Me telling a story from, I'm this guy, okay? I'm up on top of the silo. All of a sudden, I hear a tractor start up. Didn't think a whole lot of it, but anyway, we continue to level off the silo, and the tractor starts up, and you can hear it going down the road. You can hear the gravity wagon bond, what's going down the gravel road, and down into the field that went to the combine. And uh, all of a sudden, the two-way radio comes on, and it's a like, Grandpa, you better go slow because this have never done this before. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, there's an empty tractor and wagon, and I guess I had enough confidence to jump in it and go catch a load of corn by myself. And How old were you? I don't know. I was 10, 11, 12. Young enough that you shouldn't have been driving it by well, yourself. Well, <laughs> probably not down. I mean, it was only about a half mile down the road or a quarter mile down the road. But yeah, that was the first load of corn. I don't remember it. This is their story, but. First load of corn I caught by myself, and I don't think I've quit since. <laughs> and this is probably an important thing to touch on, too. Like, a family farm operation doesn't just happen because of the people in the family. Like, you guys have people who've been with your operation as farmhands for, like, 30 yeah, years, too. Yeah, 34 years, I think. 34, 35, somewhere in there. Long time. Long time. So, by that point, they've become pretty much, like, part of the family. Yeah. But... Yeah, I just wanted to give them a shout out too because it's not like this third generation, fourth generation farm happened just because of the family. It happened because of a lot of good people who. Yeah, have we've come been very too. fortunate with the help we've had. Are there any other stories that stick out in your mind about growing up with an agriculture background? There's a few. I don't know if I should tell them. But... <laughs> <laughs> we've got time for one. Oh, I don't have any stories. It's just a good way to grow up. You learn good work ethic. You learn how to respect animals, take care of animals, keep things alive. You just, you learn a lot. You learn a lot about soil and, I don't know, it's just a good way to grow up. That's a good one. I like how you said that. And I think it's kind of part of why we decided to raise our kids this way, too. They can kind of watch you do what you do and now they're in 4-H and kind of passing on that yeah attitude of caring for animals and 
Making well, just the responsibility of you have to keep something alive or it's going to die. Granted, I wouldn't let that happen with the kids, but they have to believe that that will happen if they don't take care of it. So they can take it seriously. Yes. Yeah. So for our listeners, sometimes they follow the chickens. Do they? Ryan, how many chickens are alive? All of them. <laughs> All 20. This farmer told me that chickens had a high mortality rate. I never said high. <laughs> I never said high. I thought there would be some mortality, some death loss when you buy chickens and they come in the mail and they're tiny. I would have thought that maybe a couple of them would die. I didn't I don't know much about chickens. <laughs> we're shooting from the hip. But we apparently we're very apparently good, we're good at, at it. raising chickens. Yeah. Pat on the back cuz all 20 of them are alive. <laughs> We got 20 because it was the minimum order. And here so, we are. So we and got here we are. 20 chickens. Pretty soon they'll be laying. Yes. And we've, we're going to have a shitload of eggs. <laughs> we've got four cows, four calves, a bull, an injured pasture cow. Not injured, just getting really old. <laughs> we just got rid of the pigs for the season. So, yep. Our funny farm is still, still kicking. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We always talk about small towns. We touched on this a little bit, but we'll have one more question and then we'll move into the bonus round of small talk. Okay. okay. So what is one thing you like about living and working in a small town like Cascade? Everything's close. Everything's 10 minutes away. And most everybody's friendly. You wave at everybody you know. Your best friends, you usually flip off when you meet on Main Street or whatever. But it's just, it's neat small town atmosphere when something goes really wrong that it's pretty cool how people step up and help and i think so full disclosure this is the second time we've recorded this episode because the first time through we were like getting the kinks worked out but i believe in that one we talked about this question in particular and you were talking about the time that jason came out and filled the tank you want to tell that story oh yeah so we were we woke up in the middle of the night and we were upstairs in the old farmhouse and we woke up and we could both see our breath. So the furnace was out. Well, it was not a new furnace. It was very old. It would remind you of the one in Home Alone down in the basement that he's scared of. <laughs> uh, but there was nothing wrong with the furnace. We were out of LP. So I went out to the hog buildings and the temperature was dropping in there. And there's baby pigs in there. And if they get too cold, they'll pile on top of each other to try and warm up to stay warm. But then you'll end up with dead dead mm -hmm. pigs or sick pigs. So at 3 o'clock in the morning, I called Jason McDermott. And he didn't even bat an eye. He just said, yep, I'll be out as soon as I can. I think he was there within 20 minutes. Filled the LP tank. The really cool part is he helped me bleed the lines out and get all the furnaces or all the heaters working in all the hog buildings in the house before he left. It's pretty cool. It's just like what you said, like people in small towns help each other out and they don't yeah. really question it. They just show up. Yeah. All right, Ryan. So if people want to follow you, because Ryan does have a social media presence on TikTok. Minim pretty minimal. <laughs> but he's he's working on it. He really likes showing off the test plot. Actually, not in recent 
months as much as it was when you're putting it in. When I'm sitting in the tractor and the auto steer's working, I don't have to do anything for five minutes. That's when I spend a lot of time on the phone. <laughs> he learned how to operate a GoPro and a drone this year. So you're doing a good job of documenting it. Yeah. So if you want to follow along, Ryan has TikTok and Instagram, and he is at Eastern Iowa Farmer. We'll make sure that we link to it in the show notes so you don't get him confused with any other Eastern Iowa farmers. But this way you can see as you're bringing the crop in, because I'm sure you'll probably use the GoPro during harvest time. Yeah, I don't Probably. Maybe not quite as much footage as we did this spring, but. But if everybody's like enthralled with the chickens or the test plot $50 bet, this is how they can follow up on it yeah the $50 bet they're supposed to be the guy I'm in the bet with is supposed to be making a YouTube channel of that but I haven't heard anything so oh so you might have a YouTube channel coming pretty soon not me I might be part of his oh that's right would be a good way to put it okay all right Ryan so now we're going to enter into the small talk round of questions this is where I just come up with questions off the top of my head I thought that's what we were doing just small talk Oh, well, yeah, but that was a little, I gave you those questions ahead of time. Oh, like okay. These you're not going to get. They're just from the top of my head. Okay. Um, and they're going to be different than the first time that we recorded this episode. So you can't just take your same answers. Okay. All right. Question number one. No. <laughs> you don't even know what I was going to ask. Uh, question number one. What is your favorite tractor snack? Ooh, ham sandwiches. Um, mayo? No mayo. Oh, mayonnaise for sure. Okay. Monster cheese. Hawaiian roll? No, I usually don't do that. Just the standard sandwich Just bread? Sandwich, yeah, standard sandwich bread, yes. Nice, okay. Question number two. John Deere or Massey Ferguson? <laughs> John Deere. <laughs> We've been down the Massey Road. And you came back to Deere? I was so happy to get off that road. <laughs> Ooh. Now we're talking. Now we're making words. jabs. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Question number three. What's your favorite story to tell about me on the farm? Story to tell about you on the farm? Ooh, the one where you dropped the grease bucket off the grill and got covered in grease is pretty good. <laughs> That's not the one I was thinking of. All right. Tell the story. What's the other one? I was thinking it was going to be when the pigs got out or the cows at the other house. Oh, yeah. They don't want to hear the ending to that story, though. Oh, <laughs> okay. Tell the grease bucket story. Well, you tell the story. It happened to you. No, we got to get well, this. What You're happened? the guest. Yeah, what happened? Tell me. I just got a picture of it. And I <laughs> laughed my ass off. <laughs> I was rolling the grill out of the garage and onto the porch. And there's a little grease. It's one of the Traeger pellet grills. So there's a little grease catch on the outside. But it was getting kind of full, so I thought I would just hold the little bucket myself as I rolled the grill in. Because if I left it hanging on the grill, it would probably spill. But if I held it, it probably wouldn't spill. So I was holding it, and as I was going to put it, after I had the grill back inside, and I was going to hang the little catch back up where it was supposed to go, it slipped out of my hands, and it fell like just so perfectly flat that everything from the grease bucket what would you compare it to? There's got to be another like home alone moment with like paint cans or something. But it hit so flat that everything just went straight up and then fell all over me. <laughs> it's so gross. It and was, then what did I say? I don't remember what you said. I was just like, Ryan. Yeah, you were freaking out. I hosed you down with the garden hose and gave you some paper towels. 
Yeah. I did like the picture the other day, too. You fed grass cattle for me, and you had shit on your leg. Turning you into a farmer yet. <laughs> I did. I had shit all, like, up to my knee. It was, like, two spots. Well, yeah, but it went all the way up to my knee. Oh, okay. <laughs> I totally thought it was going to be the time I was on the phone at the old house, and there was a pig in the yard, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I'm new. I'm new. I don't know what to do. I never claimed to be a farmhand. You're getting better, though. I'm getting better. Been long enough. But all right. Question number four. What is your favorite show to watch? My favorite show? Hmm. I don't know. There's really nothing on right now. Friends, Seinfeld. You're a comedy guy. Yeah, I like funny stuff. I don't have a, I don't know if I really have a dead favorite. Okay. All right. Last one. Number five. How did the tic-tac-toe board get on the outside of the barn at your mom and dad's house? Oh, there was this little shithead that um, decided he was going to get a paint can and spray paint tic-tac-toe all over new concrete on a new shed at the old farm. He won. And it's still there 30 years later. Yeah, it won't come off. I got my ass chewed for good reason, but I tried everything. It will not come off. <laughs> the best part is when you drive into the yard. You can see it. It's the day. first thing you see. And your mom wanted to kill you. <laughs> I don't blame her. I would want to kill one of my kids if they did that. <laughs> we hear a lot that Henry is very much like you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Ryan, thanks for coming and talking to us about agriculture and the modern technologies that you guys are using over at Canoes Farms Incorporated. Yeah. And thanks for sitting down and talking to me on the podcast, not once, but twice. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to sign off and say goodbye to all the listeners? Later. Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollycanuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well-lived being small-minded.